All right, good morning. All right, let's, we'll just get it out of the way right now. It's a little awkward to be preaching to a video camera. I'm thankful for Jake standing behind it, so there is actually a person to look at. Um, but glad that you guys could join us this morning. This reminds me of being back in college when we had to do speeches and have them recorded. It's what I feel like right now as I'm looking at a video camera. But I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to gather in this way and still worship together through the preaching of God's word. So before we get any further, I'm just going to open in a word of prayer. And then we'll get started this morning as we dive back into our series in Hebrews. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for just the reminders we get each day that you are in control. And Lord, that it is about you. And Lord, we are thankful for your son. Thankful for the fact that we can meet together, Lord, even in a very different way. And Lord, for all the churches that are doing this and preaching the gospel in a similar fashion, we are thankful that your word can go out. And so, Lord, that's what we pray for. We pray that your word would be used in a great way. And Lord, through the different circumstances, Lord, that you would just empower all who are preaching your word today just to preach the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, we lift this before you this morning. Pray you would bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh was when we actually could meet together, was preaching, and he brought up March Madness, all right? And it, when I hear the word March Madness, it brings joy to my heart, all right? Because I grew up, I don't, I have most of my memories of March involve watching basketball, a lot of basketball, and a lot of fun basketball. And little did we know when we started March Madness that this is the madness that we would have. Life has gotten crazy. We are no longer meeting together. We have people in groups of 10 or less, and we are streaming along with all the other churches, and it has become craziness. All right, and it has caused us to evaluate a lot of different things, and it's, it's truly become March Madness. And it's actually, for some of us, turned into March Sadness, as you've probably heard, because instead of watching basketball... People are playing old basketball games on TV to try and fill the void, right? We try and fill the void with something else. And there is even a small subset here, I guess I don't want to forget, people like Andy, who might be experiencing March sadness due to the fact there's no wrestling tournament. But the most of us are experiencing it due to the lack of the basketball tournament. And for those of you who don't like basketball, this is just a regular March in that respect for you. Not everything else that's going on with Grocery stores empty of all the things that we need. But like I said, when, when something goes missing, we try and fill that void. When we see something missing, we try and account for it in some way. All right. And so, like I said, you can go online, watch old basketball games. Even my sons and I, to try and compensate for this, started a March Madness tournament in NCAA 2008. All right. That's, you know, 12 years ago that video game came out. But we, are, we made our own tournament and as Michigan, we have, we have entered into the Sweet 16. And later today, maybe facing off against Seth Curry, Steph Curry and Davidson. All right, so that'll be happening later today. If anybody wants the results, you can let me know. We already beat Kansas and, and Arizona. So for those of you who really need updates on that kind of stuff, 
just let me know. But I say all this because we are in the midst of going through Hebrews. And today we're going to talk about priests and the high priest. And as we're going to go through this, we're going to see that there is the office of the high priest. And then we're going to look at the greatest high priest. Spoiler alert, the greatest high priest is Jesus. All right, I'll let you guys in on that to start with. But we are going to look at those things and we're going to see that as the priest tried to offer, or they followed the law and they did offer sacrifices, they were just filling a void until Jesus came. It didn't really do, it didn't really take away sins, but it was giving us what God had required up until that point. Just like we are trying to fill our lives with, some people are trying to fill their lives with different things right now to fill the void. The priests were going through this, going through the motions until Jesus came. And we're going to see that. So I'm going to read the passage. Um, We are in Hebrews chapter five, and we're going to be going through one verses one through 10 this morning. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in, in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says in another place, you are my priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right. So we're going to look this morning as we go through this passage, as I said, in the first four verses, we will see the office of the high priest. Then the next verses, we will see the perfect high priest, and then we'll make some application. So as we start, some of you may be wondering what, what is the big deal about a priest? And if you, as we go through our study in Hebrews, this marks, as what Andy even began to preach last week, this marks a major shift in the book of Hebrews as we go through our study. For the next five chapters, the author is going to deal with Jesus as high priest and why it's so important. And so we will be dealing with this and aspects of this for the next few messages as we go through these chapters of Hebrew. And it's going to talk about it, but as you remember, Hebrews was written to Jewish readers. And we've gone through, and the reason the series is called the greatest is the author is showing why Jesus is greater than all the other things that the Jews were looking at. He was the greater Moses. He was the greater, um, as we'll see today, he is the great high priest. And so as we go through these things, the priest was necessary because the priest offered sacrifices. All right. And if you were trying to explain to a first century Jew, why, you know, why, Christianity was better. Why what Jesus taught was better. They would ask, where is your priest? Who is going to atone for your sins? Who is going to offer the sacrifices for your sins? 
And so this is why the author makes very clear why Jesus is the perfect and great high priest. And so we're going to see what the office of the high priest did and what the office of the high priest was responsible for. It says, for every high priest was chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. And so the first thing you see about the office of the high priest is it's chosen by God. And it was a man chosen by God. It was not a spiritual being. It wasn't an angel. It wasn't an animal. It was a man chosen from among mankind, a man chosen by God. All right. And, it, and you see that in verse one and four, because it says, no one takes this honor on himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And so you see that the office of the high priest is not something that you earn. It's not something that you can aspire to. The office of the high priest was specifically chosen by God. And they, they would have thought back, these people who first heard it would have thought back to Aaron, the first high priest, and how God called him out specifically. And it wasn't that Aaron earned it, right? Because if you remember Aaron, we went through Genesis, right? Who was the person who made the golden calf and led the people to worship a false god? Aaron was in charge when that happened. Yet, God, yet Moses interceded for his brother and God saved his brother. God chooses imperfect men to serve him. And he chose Aaron. He didn't choose Aaron because Aaron was some awesome person that didn't mess up. Aaron had a lot of flaws, but God chose him as he chose every other high priest. And it is shown through, repeatedly throughout as we, as you go through the books of Genesis, Exodus, and you look at Exodus specifically, as you see through Aaron's ministry, he was challenged repeatedly. He was challenged by Korah, Dathan, and these guys. And they said, no, why are you so special? God made us priests. They offered up their own sacrifices and God swallowed them up because he had not chosen them. He had chosen Aaron. And so it is a very special office. It is not something to be taken lightly. It was chosen by God. And you can read of other people who tried to take priestly office in their own hands, Saul, Uzziah, both with tragic results. And so it's not something to be taken lightly. It's chosen by God. And then the next qualification or area you see of a, of a priest, of the high priest, is that he is sympathetic towards men. All right, and he is sympathetic towards men because it says in verse two, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And this weakness brings the idea of moral weakness and physical weakness. Just he is weak, just like we all are weak. He can identify with them. And so therefore, just like I said, right? When Aaron was dealing with the people in the Old Testament, he could deal with them sympathetically. When they struggled with following after other gods, when they struggled with complaining, he could deal with them sympathetically because he had gone through the same thing. He had failed. He had seen the mercy and grace of God. And so he was sympathetic towards them. All right. And, it, and we see that in our own lives. We can be sympathetic towards people that make the same mistakes we do. All right. And, and we can identify with them because we made the same exact mistake. And so we see that, that um, as he went, he can deal gently. And this word, the Greek word is, uh, it's, let me see, I, I wrote it down, but now it's really small. It's metriotheo, all right? And it's a very interesting word. It's only used one time in the New Testament. And it talks 
about being in between, that a high priest can deal gently, that he can moderate, and this is having compassion on those people he's dealing with. It means that you can be in the middle. It means that you're not completely indifferent to somebody's sin. And it means you don't fly off the handle and become irate because they messed up. You are able to moderate right down the middle and you are able to moderate right down the middle and be genuine that you can have compassion on them while still being angry at their sin, but not overly so. And so that is what he's saying. And that's part of being a good high priest is being sympathetic with those you are serving. And then lastly, we see that he is, he offers sacrifices. He offers sacrifices and he mediates. That was his job. Um, And the thing is he had to do it for himself just as much as he had to do it for the other people. And you read in Leviticus 16, that Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself and his sons before he could even offer the sacrifice for the people. And again, it was a very serious thing to go and atone. The high priest dressed up, had bells on his, on his robes because if the people heard the bells stop, they potentially would have to pull the priest out by the rope that was tied around his ankle because he may have died because he didn't take it seriously enough. That's how serious it was. He would offer a sacrifice for himself and then for the people. And he gave the people a sacrifice. And so that's, that was his job. This is what the high priest did. This was the centerpiece of the Jewish religion. This is why it is so important. And this is a question they would ask. Why would you want me to switch to Christianity? Where is your priest? Who is going to do this for me? Who is going to atone for my sin? And so we see briefly, and again, there's so much in this passage. We could go a long time. I mean, potentially I could preach for a long time because we're streaming. We don't have to tear down. But I know some people want to have lunch, do other things. So I won't. I hope. No, I won't. But we will go through and we see the office of the high priest. Now we are going to see the perfect high priest. And this is amazing things that we see as we go through here. It says, and we're going to see that the, the author is going to show these same qualifications and how Christ not only meets them, but far exceeds them. And a Jewish person in the, in the first century would look at Jesus and say, I don't think he would qualify anyways. All right. He is not the right tribe. He's not, you know, he doesn't qualify. He wasn't born. He wasn't. And so the, the author is going to show why Jesus qualifies. And so we see in verse five, So Christ also did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son today. I've begotten you. And he says, as as in another place, you are my priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He did not exalt himself to that office. God chose him. God chose him to be that office. And you, I mean, if you read through it, when I first read through this passage, I was reminded of Philippians two, five, through 11 about Christ having this mindset that is having the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus, who did not think equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and came down to earth. He became obedient to the point of death. And at the end of it says that for that Christ our God highly exalted him above all else. So God chose Jesus. And to see this, he quotes two verses in the Psalms. And again, we've, we've talked about that before. The author of Hebrews just kind of throws out quotes kind of like sometimes I do when I'm going through Bible, just it's written somewhere. All right. Somewhere it says, 
He says, he was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. It's a direct quote from Psalm 2, verse 7. And it's showing that Jesus is king. It is God setting his son as king over the earth, over all things. All right, it's not saying that he was just created on that day. It's saying that he's set forth first in order above all things. He is the king. Not only is Jesus king, but then he goes on to quote Psalm 110, and he Psalm 110.1 has been used as a messianic psalm, but now he goes to verse 4. And he says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that will get explained a lot more in chapter 7 as we go in. But Melchizedek, if you remember, it was when we, when we were studying through Genesis, we talked about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, who was a priest. He was the king of Salem, and he was the priest of the Most High God. He was both king and priest. And the author of Hebrews is showing us that Jesus is greater. He is the king of all things, not just of a city. And he is the priest above all priests, not just the priest of the most. And so he is after the order, he says, of Melchizedek. He is different than the Aaron, the Aaronic priests. He is not in the line of Aaron because he didn't come from the right tribe. And he is greater. And again, it says after the order of Melchizedek. It's not that there was an order of Melchizedekian. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll use it. Melchizedekian priests. He was there. He showed up. All right. And in Hebrews 7, it's going to basically say he showed up out of nowhere. And then we don't even know when he died. All he showed up is in like those few verses, like four or five verses in Genesis. He's there. He's the priest. Everybody knew it. And then we don't hear about him again until we read about him in Hebrews. He's mentioned in Psalms as well. But he was chosen after the order of Melchizedek in and so that Jesus didn't descend from a long line of priests. He is the priest. He shows up. He is the great high priest. He is the king and he is the priest. And so that's what the author is showing. The same God who chose him, who chose the other priests before him through the line of Aaron is the God who now says, Jesus is king. Jesus is priest. And he is the great high priest. So we see that he meets that qualification. He's chosen by God. The next thing you see is in verse seven. It says in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And so we see the reference, the reference down to Jesus's time in the flesh, his earthly ministry. Jesus was the son of God before he came to earth. And he's the son of God now. But this reference now is clearly in reference to his earthly ministry when he took on flesh and lived among us. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And this, to most people as you read this, this brings to mind Jesus's time in Gethsemane, the night of the betrayal before he was crucified. And it, it could, I mean, it's not, Jesus spent much time in prayer throughout his ministry, but this ministry of loud cries. And then the fact that it says he prayed to him who was able to save him from death. And it it brings to mind Mark 14. And when Jesus came and he took his disciples to Gethsemane, and I'll just read a little bit of it. It says he went to a place in Mark 14, 32 called Gethsemane. 
And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so you see this, this grief, this, this suffering, this intense suffering that Jesus went through. Maybe even being referenced here in the days of flesh that he offered up prayer, supplication with loud cries and tears. And I, I wanted to do a study in Greek, you know, about tears to see that maybe it was just a misting of eyes since I've not cried much. My wife said she's never seen me cry, but unfortunately it does mean actual, actual tears, water coming out of the eyes. So I was hoping to find a new path for that. But he was that distraught that he was crying out. Tears were coming to his eyes. And it said that he was prayed to the one or to God who was able to save him out of death. Not from death, but out of death. And it was that saving, the resurrection out of death. He was praying for that. Because you could read through it and say, well, he prayed to God. And God said, says God heard him because he was reverent or fearful or reverencing God and, and having awe of God and being, humbling himself. And God did hear and God did answer. God did raise his son from the dead. And you can see that even in Jesus' prayer that he said, not my will, but yours. And so it shows the extent of the suffering that Jesus went through. That he suffered to that point to pray. He, he was experiencing the weakness of the human body. And so this is Jesus that we see. He is sympathetic towards men because of this. And Andy even touched on this last week, right? That, that we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And it talks about it even in, in Hebrews 2. It says, it says in Hebrews 2, therefore, in verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. For he himself, in verse 18, was suffered when tempted and he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus suffered as we suffered. He suffered as a man. That is why he became a man. As we noticed in the office of the high priest, the high priest was a man. He was chosen out of mankind. Jesus became fully man when he came to earth so that he could be our high priest. And he is sympathetic with us. And we see this. It says, although he was a son, he was God's son. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And it's a crazy thought, right? Because when we think of God, we think of Jesus. We think it's perfect. He didn't learn anything. And this is not to say that he was disobedient before that somehow he was totally disobedient. He was like us disobedient. And then all of a sudden he learned obedience. No, he gained a full understanding of obedience, obedience to the point of death as a human with the weakness of our, of human, of humanity upon him. And so that's what he learned. He came to understand, right? If we go through our own lives, there are things that we try and learn about before we actually experience them. And there is no doing it unless you actually experience it. 
And the first things that come to my mind are marriage and children. All right. You can read all the marriage books you want, but until you are married, you do not know what it is to be married. All right. Until you have your own kids, you can be the best advice giver on how to raise your kids and how your kids would never have any issues because you would follow these specific steps. Then you have kids. Then you become sympathetic towards other parents. You're like, oh, I understand now. I understand why it's not so easy to get your kids to do this or not so easy as a married couple. And we understand that. And that's a very small picture. But Jesus took flesh upon him so that he could become like us and he became obedient to the point of death. And so he suffered far greater than anything we have ever suffered because he suffered to that point. He suffered up until that point. He suffered each temptation and he suffered it to the point that he never gave in. And so he experienced temptation to the fullest extent. And that is why he can be our high priest. And then it says in verse nine that he was made perfect. And again, this is not saying that Jesus was somehow imperfect, but he was completed. He completed everything. He came to this point. He was obedient to the point of death and it completed what was necessary because this you get nothing else from this morning. This is the main thing. It says he became the source of eternal salvation. He is the source, not a source, not a means. He is the source of salvation, the eternal salvation. And going through everything that we're going through right now, even as a world, people are looking for news. They're looking for a doctor, looking for a vaccine. You want something as we go through, even through with COVID-19 and people are in turmoil. Like, where do I turn? What do I look for? He is the source of salvation. There is no other source. And that is why it's so amazing as you look through this, that he is the perfect high priest because the other priests, right? They offered up sacrifices. They were a shadow of things to come. All right. And, and it's, it was just, it, it wasn't the real thing. All right. And I like today when we, I was coming, I was going to have to preach, preach to camera and a few people. It was going to be weird. I even brought a picture in case I needed to put it up of my family. So I could put, I know they're normally on the left. All right. And so I have, you know, like this little picture I can stick up of my family, of my wife. So I could look over and see, but this picture is not, substitute for them. It's not really them. All right. It can give me a little comfort because I can say, Oh, all right. And at least somebody's smiling as I'm preaching. Can't help it because it's a smiling picture, but it's just a shadow of things to come. It doesn't replace my wife, but the same goes for these, these priests were offering sacrifices. And if you look in Hebrews nine, it says, according to this, arrangement gifts and sacrifices just like it said in Hebrews 5:1 are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper they offered them over and over but they never took away sin they did not offer salvation they they were the god's method at that point to atone for the sins until jesus came but they never took away sin jesus is the source And that is the main point of this whole text and of all of what it's talking about. And just listen to this as we, as we wrap up, as you think about the other priests, 
It says in Hebrews 10, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of those realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Never. The law and the sacrifice never bring it. And it says then down in Hebrews 10 and 11, or Hebrews 10 verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He is the source of salvation. And so how does that apply? Who is he the source of salvation for? For those who obey him. And so that's not saying works. It's not saying like, who do we obey? Do we keep all these rules? Just said that the law didn't take away sin. John 6, 28, 29, the people ask Jesus, who, what works do we need to do to, to follow God? And he said, the, the work of God that I command you is that you believe, is to believe in the one he sent. It's obedience of faith. So as we look at this, as we rest on the truth of this, sal- this passage, Jesus is the source of salvation. And it's through faith. And as you think about it, as you go through your life, My sin and your sin required that death. It's not something to be taken lightly. I read Psalm 36 too of the wicked man. And it said in Psalm 36 too, it says he flatters himself to the point that he doesn't even discover or seek the sin which God hates in his own life. He's so caught up in his own self that he doesn't even understand the sin that's in his life that God hates. We have that sin in our life. We, God sent his son to die so that we can be forgiven of that sin and so that we can have eternal salvation. And for those of you who have already made that decision, you might be sitting through here because this is a crazy time and struggling with peace or struggling with understanding or struggling with how to do it. Remember that Jesus is the source of your salvation. He does not change doesn't matter if the stores don't have toilet paper. doesn't matter if they don't have sugar or flour. You have eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. He offered the perfect sacrifice and he will en- enable you to live. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, continuing in faith. Jesus is the source. Let us rest and trust in him in all, in all things. I'll pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your word. God, you sent your son. Jesus is the source. Thank you for that. Lord, may we rest and trust in that at all times. Lord, no matter what comes against us, no matter what we face, Lord, there are very real and hard decisions before people. There are hard things in life, Lord. Uncertainties of job, uncertainties of health. But Lord, there is no uncertainty with you. You offered a sacrifice and sat down. You accomplished the work and we can trust and rest in you. And may that truth guide our decisions and our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, thank you, Chad. Good morning, everybody. As the great prophet Austin Powers once said, allow myself to introduce myself. I'm Josh Daggett, the lead pastor here at Living Waters, and it's good to have all you guys online. Good to see you. You know, when you, you, when you plan your vacation, you don't really know what's going to happen next. So I, I plan vacation. Uh, it's been called by our family and by many others on social media, media coronacation. Uh, that's, that's what we do now. Uh, we went down to San Antonio. Literally the entire city closed in about three days. It was amazing, epic and one of those, the weirdest trips we've ever taken, we got back home safe uh, just about a day and a half ago. So praise God for Chad DeClean and for Andy Biddle uh, filling the pulpit in my stead. If you see foam on my mouth, it's because I yearn to preach and I can't wait to preach uh, next week and the weeks following uh, to encourage you. During these days, I just want to give you a brief word of exhortation, brief word of encouragement. During these days, what our culture is in need of the most is leadership. We need leaders to rise up, not only uh, in our church, but in our families, in our community. We need men and women who are willing to step forward and be servant leaders to help solve problems. And so uh, a lot of things are changing. We can't, we can't change all of those things. We can't fix everything. But what we can do is lead. We can we can believe that Jesus is going to be faithful. We can believe that we'll be delivered. And, and I anticipate God doing great things through the gospel in the next days and the next weeks. I anticipate it. I believe it to be true. And church, I want you to also embrace that with me as we open God's word together in a digital format. You're at home. You're, you're in your, your living room or wherever you're watching, wherever you're streaming. Um, I anticipate God working in great ways, in greater ways than we've ever seen him work. And so I know it's a downer season for us. It's a difficult season. But I also want you to see the faithfulness of God, and I want you to feast on God. And I just heard a pastor friend of mine say this morning, feast on his faithfulness. Uh, we should feast on our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and eat his flesh and drink his blood and know him. And believe in him because God's going to do great things, I believe, in the coming days. Okay, here's just some encouragements for you. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The Apostle John said that the love of the world is not a good thing, right? Because if you love the world and you don't love the Father, it's just those, things too, those two things aren't compatible together. To love the world system and to love the Father, those things don't work together. And so I just want to encourage you, in this season, we are being exposed our souls are being exposed. Our hearts are being exposed for all the idols that we lean on. We're being stripped of our idols, and we don't like it. I just read this morning that over 1 billion people are now under quarantine. 1 billion people 
are under quarantine in this world right now. One billion people are suffering under the weight of not having what they want. And we all feel that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, pride of possessions. As John would tell us in 1 John 2, we are struggling against our desires. What are your desires this morning? What are the things you want and those are being stripped away from you? I know for sure that we can say without any uh, form of cloudiness that toilet paper is being taken from us. It's hard to find it anywhere. And who would have thunk toilet paper would be the thing that would cause us to lose our souls, but it's happening, right? And money, everybody's worried about the economy. Everybody's worried about how much money we have in our bank account, how much, you know, how many more times can we tell you as a church that, hey, we need you to plug into online giving? Because we're thinking through these things, these security things, right? Uh, Drugs, alcohol, pornography, these are all things that are, are just lusting and pushing our desires um, away from God. And I think we're being exposed. We're being exposed for where our souls are at. And I'm not trying to be harsh with any of you or myself. I'm just saying it's, it's a hard thing for God to pull away what we're so used to. Uh, March Madness, as Chad said, is turning into March Sadness, right? Because the basketball tournaments... Uh, we can't watch a inflated ball being bounced and put in a hoop. We can't watch young athletic people jump up really high and run really fast. And that bothers us because we've become so used to it. And um, we can't travel. You know, our sports God is being pulled away from us. And our travel God is being pulled away from us too. And the lust of the eyes, what we want to see, is being pulled away from us. Pride in possessions. You know, what we have, our economic wealth, our investments, our mortgage, our, our properties, all these things are being stripped away from us, and, and we don't like it. We, we feel very, very um, sad about what is doing. And here, here, here's what God is doing. God is stopping us in our tracks. We think we're so high and mighty. We think we are so pompous and, and, and technologically sound. I mean, my goodness, we had a technology snafu this morning. We can't even rely on that all the time. We're not so smart. Okay? We're, we're not so uh, sophisticated that God in a moment through a virus would just strip us of everything that we think we know and everything we think we are, and here we are laid bare before our God. Many of us have said, man, if I could only just have more time in my life, if I could have more time at home, if I could have more time to read, and if I could have more time to do this, and all of a sudden, we have that time. And we're losing our minds. Because we don't know how to handle our soul. We don't know how to be satisfied in our God. We don't know how to just sit and be at Jesus' feet and worship him. And love him and enjoy him. We're broken. It's not bad to say that. It's not bad to say we're, we're broken people. Jesus can heal us. 
Jesus can save us. Jesus can pull us through. He can make us persevere under our trials. We get what we want, but we don't get it the way we want it. it. It's not, this quarantine isn't packaged the way that we want it to be packaged. We want the time off, but we want the time off under our timeline and our expectations. And God says, I'm going to flip your world upside down and I'm going to see if you'll be satisfied in me. My timeline. My expectations. Church, I think we're being exposed. Our souls are being exposed. We're sinners. What can we say? And in the midst of that, only one thing can satisfy your soul. Jesus Christ. Crucified. Risen again from the dead, only he can satisfy the deepest crevices of your wanting, needy soul. Church, I'm talking to you you through a camera. I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you to love Jesus. He can save you. He can satisfy you. I know it doesn't seem like that right now. It doesn't seem like... Jesus is there, but I'm telling you, he is there. He's right next to you. Um, Psalm 71, verse 15. The psalmist says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. The number of righteous acts, the number of deeds of salvation that God has done for his people is past the knowledge of the writer of the Psalm 71. I just read this this morning. God is working in the background, church. He's working in the internet crashes that crashes our online service. He's working in that. He's sovereign over it. He knew it was going to happen. God is working in the background. He's working beyond your knowledge. Beyond what you think you know God is doing, God is working way beyond that. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 4 says that God's telling Habakkuk, this discouraged prophet, he said, if I told you everything that I'm doing, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. Even if you saw it, you wouldn't believe it. Church, I'm telling you this morning, God is working in ways you can't even believe. You wouldn't believe it if you saw it. God is leading us to Jesus. God is working, and here's just a few things that I see. We've had people this week, Dave Newhouse, others, reaching out to the elderly in our church, just meeting needs, just making calls, going to grocery stores, visiting old folks that need that help, need that assistance, and we're seeing that happen. That would have never happened without coronavirus. That wasn't happening before coronavirus. We've had Holly and Samantha in our church opening their homes. My goodness, what a step of faith. Opening your home to do daycare for, for untold amounts of hours to minister to people who need to get to work and don't have a place to take their kids. Praise God. That wouldn't have happened without coronavirus. No way. The tech team, Jared and Jake and Jason Anderson here yesterday, Lawrence Michelson, 
putting in volunteer hours to make this place look awesome and to kind of turn the well into a studio. I mean, how awesome is that? This doesn't happen without trials, tribulations. In the midst of our greatest sufferings and testings, that's when God brings the greatest ingenuity amongst his people. How many people are going to hear the gospel today on this stream? Lots of people that would have never heard about Jesus before. And also all over our country, all over the world, the face, Facebook and the internet are worried about shutting down. Can they take the amount of traffic that they're getting? Praise Jesus. God is leading us to Jesus. And I, I just want to tell you this morning, if you're lost, if you're underneath the weight of sin, if you are seeing for maybe the very first time your need for the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I just want to pray a prayer for you. And maybe some of you, this is the moment of your salvation. This is the moment where you're ready to give up your sin and your pride and trust in that great high priest that Chad just talked about. This great high priest who understands what you're going through, understands where you're at, and he's ready to save you. He's ready to forgive you. If that's you, I just want to pray a prayer this morning. I want you just to pray along with me and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't want to give up this opportunity. I may not have another opportunity. Who knows what's going to happen this week? So if that's you and you know you don't know Jesus, you're not saved, you're worried about where you're spending eternity, I just want you to pray with me and receive him. Okay, so let's pray. Father, Lord, our prayer is on behalf of those who are lost. Lord, we're sinners. Lord, I pray that you would move people to say, even right now, I'm a sinner. I have, I have not lived up to God's standard. I have fallen short. I am full of pride. I'm a mess. I'm a mess in my mind. I'm a mess in my soul. And I see you, Jesus, on the cross. I see my need for you. I see that you paid the penalty for my sin. I see that you shed your blood so that I could be forgiven. I see that you rose from the dead. And my only hope of having eternal life is to believe in Jesus right now. So Lord, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I believe that you died and you rose again from the dead. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Right here, right now, save my soul. Give me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, God's word says that you are born again, that you have received new life, that you are now a child of the King, Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. Church, here's just a few encouragements for you, and I'm going to give it up to Brandon. As we consider the, the next few days, the next few weeks, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to meet needs. I don't want you to just be like, hey, can I get the church's permission to meet a need? Meet a need. If you can meet a need for an elderly person or someone who's in need or someone who's at risk, please meet the need. You don't need the church office's approval to meet a need. 
Step into your neighborhood. Step into your neighbor's life. Help people out. Two, I want you to get counseling. If you're going stir crazy right now, you're going crazy in your mind, set up a meeting with Andy Biddle, would you? Whether that's via Skype or technology or whether we're still doing physical meetings. At this point, we're doing physical meetings, but that could change. Get with one of our counselors. Don't let your mind run to the worst case scenarios of your of your imaginations. Don't let your fearful imaginations take over. Get with our New Heart Counseling Ministry. Church, reprioritize your brain. Okay? Reprioritize your brain. Value what God values. Think about all the opportunities you're going to have to invest in your family. But pastor, my family's annoying. Great. Join the crowd. Right? Love your family. Pour yourself into, reprioritize your brain and take advantage of the minutes and the hours that you have. This is a gift from God. Reach out to your neighbor. Just check out the people that are right around your house or your apartment or your trailer or wherever you live. Find out what the needs are just right around you. Um, rewire your activities. Slow down. Slow down. Embrace the slowness. <laughs> That's hard to say in American culture where we run 10,000 miles an hour. Slow down. Pray. We're going to be announcing this afternoon a 30 days of prayer campaign. I can't wait. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in our church. You're going to have opportunities to sign up to pray at different times of the day, different days of the week. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Pray. Spend a half hour in prayer, an hour in prayer. We'll help guide you through the process, but take advantage of your schedule and wire in prayer. And uh, finally, plug in. Plug in. We're going to do some things called Wednesday Night Live. We're going to start um, a program called Wednesday Night Live where we're going to just run through a live broadcast here. And uh, it's either going to be here or some other place, but we're going to do it. We're going to take live Q&A on Wednesday nights just regarding theology and practical stuff. And uh, we're going to have different guests come in, but I want you to plug into Wednesday Night Live. And then we're going to continue to do our seminars on Saturday mornings. We're just going to do them in a different way. So we're going to try to provide as many opportunities as we can. We're going to write a lot of cards. We're going to make a lot of phone calls. Church, we love you. We love what God is doing at Living Waters. We believe very much in what God is doing. We believe very much that Jesus loves you. And he loves me as well. And we're, we're trusting God in these days. So meet needs, get counseling, reprioritize, rewire, plug in, and let's do it all for Jesus. So let's pray. Um, actually, let's just have Brandon come up. You can sing, and then I'll, I'll close out our time uh, with a word of prayer.